Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing the benefits of transformational education to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. To support the mission of the Sounds True Foundation, I'm thrilled to announce that we've just opened registration for our first ever in-person fundraiser, the Sounds True Gathering. This inaugural event will take place at the end of September in 2019 at the 1440 Multiversity in the Redwoods of California. This special three-day gathering is an opportunity to slow down to connect with nature and to connect with ourselves, to enjoy wisdom teachings, shared meals, and heart-opening music, and also have the chance to meet new friends from around the world. This inaugural event will feature a lineup of premier Sounds True teachers and artists, including John Kabat-Zinn, Sanatam Kar, Ruth King, Kristen Neff, Mark Nepo, Zainab Salbi, Adya Shanti, Sean Korn, and many more. And the best part is that 100% of the profits will go directly to support the important work of the Sounds True Foundation. This event will most likely sell out quickly. As a listener to Insights at the Edge, I wanted to make sure you heard about it first here. To learn more or reserve your spot, please visit soundstruefoundation.org forward slash event. Again, to learn more or reserve your spot at the Sounds True Foundation gathering, please visit soundstruefoundation.org forward slash event. Today my guest is Kate Stillman. Kate Stillman has been teaching people how to create health and wellness through yoga and Ayurveda since 2001. She hosts the Yoga Healer Real Thrive Show, a weekly podcast featuring dozens of experts in the field. And what sounds true, Kate Stillman has published a new book called Body Thrive, Uplevel Your Body and Your Life with 10 Habits from Ayurveda and Yoga. Kate has a unique ability to make profound changes, feel and seem natural, accessible, and totally doable. I have to say it, Kate Stillman, some of your suggestions, they're life-changing, and they're actually not that hard. Here's my conversation with Kate Stillman. Kate, in your book, Body Thrive, you identify 10 habits from Ayurveda and yoga that will help us all up-level our life, that will help us thrive. How did you come up with this particular set of 10 habits? What was the process that you went through? 
I was trained as an Ayurvedic medicine practitioner, and this whole concept of daily habits is embedded in the teaching of Dinacharya, of the daily rhythm. And these habits were in a they were in a they were in a bigger list uh, the way that I was introduced to them and and the list started in in the morning. As a practitioner, I, I worked with people with these habits for over a decade, and what I what I realized was that there was a way to simplify. There's a way to put some numbers to it so that people could have an idea of how many habits would would really help. And and then I I started with the night before because I realized that we may have great intentions in about tomorrow, but it's good to get those intentions lined up with what we have left in today. And that's really where it all began. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into what these 10 habits are, and we're going to dig deep into a few of them. But before we do, you know, it's interesting, your new book, Body Thrive, Mark Hyman, who is a medical doctor that I think many of the people in our audience may be familiar with, he calls your work the next frontier of Ayurveda. Tell me why you think he might call it the next frontier. There's so much emerging right now at the intersection of behavioral science or, or why we behave the way we do and what we have control over, coupled with what's happening in design thinking and life hacking, and coupled again with this emerging desire to see who we are all about. And we see that a lot in the New Age movement and the yoga movement and the all the enlightenment movement. And, and to me, this intersection of these three paths is what so many people are fascinated with in, in one way or another, like how can I design who I am next? And how much is that embedded in my habits and the little tiny things I do each day? There's a lot of work that's emerging now in terms of identity and, and that who our identity is, is very malleable and it's connected to the little things I do each day or, or my habits. So my sense is, is that People that are awake to what Ayurveda is all about, this the science of life from, from India, this path of health and coupled with enlightenment that co-arose as the, the flip side to yoga, that there's a lot of wisdom in there. And all I did was kind of make, to me, <laughs> I wrote the book that no one else had written. It was just so obvious uh, that I was like, okay, if no one else will write it, I guess I'll take time to write it. And, and my sense is it's just, it's just that. It's just habits that come from Ayurveda that are full of this path of how do I design myself to who I want to become next? And what habits will give me the type of resilience that I need to really thrive in the modern world? Okay, so let's just say someone right out of the gate is listening to this and says, oh my God, you know, habits, really, this sounds so restrictive. I like to follow a natural way of what I feel like doing each day. I don't want to have my like life hacking checklist or something. What if there's that yeah. objection right out of the gate? Yeah. Yeah. Like, amen. I hear you, sister. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't, we don't want a set of rules. Like we don't want shoulds. Uh, we don't, we don't want it from a place too of being told what to do. And, and there's a access point with, who am I really? Like if we really want to experience flow and we can presence that who we are from a historical perspective, like a a larger historical perspective, we didn't design our own bodies. We inherited this phenomenal, uh, like the best ever piece of technology known to the cosmos (laughs) called the human body. And this human body, it evolved over 
hundreds of thousands, you know, some would say millions and some would say billions of years that our physiology has tapped into the origins of the cosmos um, as it is to our, you know, our primate thread, that the whole thing is, is all caught up in, in a web together. So if who we are is ancient and if who we are evolved with this planet and with this species that we are, that we're primates and that primates are on a circadian rhythm that we, unlike, I always parallel my cat. I have a very close relationship with my cat and he's nocturnal and I'm a primate. So I'm diurnal. So he wakes up at about the time I'm ready to wind down. He starts to get his game on and he goes hunting, depending on if we're in Mexico or in Idaho, he starts, he starts hunting. Uh, And then by the time I'm waking up in the morning, he's, he's going to bed. So if we really want to access deeper flow states, and if we want to have the kind of resilience to enjoy a lot more freedom in our day-to-day life, then we, and this is the argument of Ayurveda, then we would do well to actually tap into the, the power of flow that's behind our species, that's behind these circadian rhythms or these rhythms that have everything to do with how our digestion evolved, how our elimination evolved, how our what we do when, when we have the best times of day to focus, best times of day to communicate, the best times of day to do hard labor or manual work. If we were to align ourselves into what's actually natural to our species, then we would actually start to experience even greater states of flow and even greater freedoms in terms of what opens up in our life. Okay, well, that's a very compelling argument. I'm convinced here. (laughs) Now, I want to then connect to when the sun rises and sets? Is that what you mean by circadian rhythms? Yeah, that's, you know, that's such a good starting place. Yes, absolutely. Is It's that. And the yogis say that there's a there's that magical moment around sunrise and, and sunset. And we do well to pause at the magical moment as the sun is cresting, as it's going from darkness to light, and to pause again as we're going from lightness to dark. And in that in that pausing, and in the pause, there's really nothing to do. It's just simply to receive the energies that, again, are part and parcel of who we are, part and parcel of ourselves individually, but also our ecosystem, also our planet. And just in that in that pause, there's a realignment that starts to happen, or an alignment that starts to happen. And we might notice our own fatigue. Often, people in today in this modern age, we're tired. We actually, there's some mm-hmm. recent studies that were just released this week in terms of teenagers and sleep deprivation. Like we're spreading overwhelm and tired through our culture and it's affecting us cellularly and we're seeing massive breakdown of immune system, right? The number of autoimmune diseases rises each year, like just the, the percentage of people that have them, but also just the sheer number of diversification of the breakdown of our immune system. So simply in pausing, we might feel and in feeling, we might notice we're overfed we're overworked, we're overtired, and we might actually tap into our desire of like, oh, I, I desire, I need a glass of water. I need to take myself for a stroll. I need to, maybe I just need to sit for a moment and relax and then see what I should do with the rest of my evening. Okay, now you're saying some very profound things here, tapping into ourselves and feeling overfed, overworked, overtired. I can imagine many listeners saying, yeah, that's true. And also connecting with what you were pointing to, which is when the sun sets, 
this idea that if we're tired, we'll go to sleep. And I think many people have had that experience when they're camping or maybe they're on a retreat or on vacation. And it's like, ah, you know, but then in our normal life, we feel under the gun. We're under so much pressure. And so we end up eating, we end up overworking, and we end up getting tired. What I want to start here is by actually having you talk to this bigger picture, which is how we're out of sync because of the culture we live in and what we've bought into as our lifestyle. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, then I just want to take a moment and pause on that and to feel into it because we're I mean, and essentially we're, it's like we're swimming in a polluted pool, right? Like we're, we're in, and just for, for everyone listening, like we're in this together. Like we're, we're in a culture that's living against, out of alignment. What the yogis would, would say, akrama, or out of sequence. So our culture is out of sequence with that which supports our body to thrive. Mm-hmm. And when we really deeply get that and we can then allow some self-compassion of like, okay, it's not, it's not really my fault. Like on a bigger level, it's not all my fault. And I know for me, there's a, um, and I'm all into like not being in victim mode and, and I'll, I'll go on and on about that. But there's also a sense of like, okay, now I actually am in touch with reality and I sort of know what I'm up against. And I sort of know that I can't expect culture to fix this problem for me. Yeah, because it's not going to happen in real time. With all the metrics are showing that we're, if anything, going more in the direction of a crumb. We're going more in the direction of being out of sequence. So, right. So then, what do we do? What do we do from here? A self compassion, like take a breath and just realize what can you do? Like when you really look at how, what I, I mean, I know my own patterns personally and where I get caught up and where I see kind of easy ground for, for progress is just really saying like, what is my evening like, you know, like what time am I eating dinner? How much flexibility do I have with that? What am I actually doing after dinner? Am I getting back online? Is there, you know, is my house hotspot doing the wireless thing or is that off? What time am I going to bed? And what am I doing in that activity? Am I on screen time, which we know is stimulating, we know increases fight or flight, we know promotes autoimmune disease, or am I actually unplugging? Do I have a nurturing wind down? So in Ayurveda, they say that that 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., that that part of the rhythm, that the descending energy, it's a water earth energy, the energy goes down, our cells want to go down, everything wants to relax, release and connect, it's the energy of social cohesion. And so it's the time to, I mean, I, the image that comes to my mind is like sitting on the front porch and talking with the neighbors, <laughs> like that kind of, that's sort of the energy of that time of day. So whether we are with family and we just allow ourselves to unplug devices and be present and then do things that we can do offline, do things we can do off screen. And we'll be much more impelled to actually receive and feel that descending current. We'll feel our own fatigue and it'll be easier to make the next best decision of like, oh, if I go to bed now, I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll have a surplus of energy that that energy I was going to spend getting something done whether it's online or watching something after 6 p.m., that energy I actually can plug into tomorrow. 
so I can start the day tomorrow. I can start the day right. And then with that, I'm going to have a little bit more intelligence. I'm going to be a little bit more conscious, a little bit more intelligence at the beginning of the day that I'll make better decisions the following day. Okay. And and as you're talking, Kate, we're actually talking about the first three habits. And I want to go into them a little bit in more detail. The first habit, and you've already started by saying in many ways this is mission critical for you, is that you eat an earlier, lighter dinner, and then it moves into the second habit of going to bed early. Get specific with me. How early is your dinner, and how early are you going to bed? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and I, so I will answer that, but I also want to say the important thing for anyone listening is start where you are. And, and see what just a little, what a tiny habit would be, what a little earlier or a little lighter on your dinner might be. Because otherwise what happens is we immediately say like, oh, that's what she's doing is impossible and I can't do it. And if anything, we want to start from the place of everything's possible and we really get to design our habits. We get to design our own experience. Okay. So for me with earlier, lighter dinner, most of the time, so that's the first thing I'm going to say is it's not all the time, but most of the time, the majority is what I'm trying to get to. Is the majority of the time for dinner, I will have it be salad-based or soup-based. So depending on the climate, depending on the weather, if it's cold, I'll go with a soup-based dinner. And I'm looking for something that's basically easy to digest. And this is the idea. What is easy enough to digest that I can get to the next morning without cravings for food? So it's easy enough to digest and absorb and also to eliminate. So both salad and soup are high in water content. I was, I was interviewing someone once about medicinal tea sold in the United States, and they shared that the number one medicinal tea sold in the United States was Smooth Move. It's a, uh, it's a tea that helps for constipation. Yeah. Right. So just that told me like, wow, the majority of like medicinal tea buyers are constipated. And these are like the healthy people that are buying medicinal teas. These aren't, this isn't just the you know general population out there. So we want to be able to wake up the next morning and have a complete elimination, which is about 18 inches of fecal matter. It's like, a, it's a big, lovely. Right. Now I knew we were going to talk about this. We're going okay. there. I knew, yeah. I knew it was going to come up. And you know, when I read that in Body Thrive, that you say the gold standard for <laughs> one's elimination in the morning without caffeine is an 18-inch poop. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I knew when I read that in the book that I was going to end up on Insights at the Edge talking about my own pooping. <laughs> I've never had an 18-inch poop in my life, and I think of myself as a pretty healthy person. What are you talking about? That's like, you know, almost the size of my arm. That's huge. Right. Well, maybe not as thick. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, if you think of ascending, or sorry, descending colon and transverse colon, right? That's the, that's, it's about that length. So depending on the size of the body, depending on the size of, uh, of the age of the person, right? But there's a, there's this, it was more important to me than the size. Let's not get okay. totally caught up in okay. size, is the feeling. So the feeling and it's interesting to hear from the yogic perspective. It's 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 scintillating prana. That's oh the feeling we're going for. Is that there's there's space that we have a complete elimination within an hour of ponderizing, and we just feel like wow, that was good, you know. <laughs> and you could actually, it's a it's not a mental thought. It's a physical feeling that's arising from your descending and transverse colon of just actually having the feeling of 
uh, of apanavayu, which is one of the five pranas. It's the it's the descending directional prana. And when you have that feeling, it's like, oh yeah, all right, like I'm psyched for today. Bring it on. That's the feeling of complete elimination. So again, if we start with the night before, we want to we want to facilitate that. We if we eat something that's really dense, where the body's going to need more moisture to digest and assimilate and eliminate, then we're making this a little bit harder. And if anything, the habits that the yogis figured out that I codified in Body Thrive, these habits are simply aligning us to a natural energy efficiency. A natural efficiency, which byproduct or end product is resilience. And when we have that kind of resilience, we actually access what the yogis call svatantriya, which is the deepest freedom. So if if our habits aren't supporting our body, we're sacrificing ultimate freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting that you said to me most of the time, you know, I have some friends who like to go to bed early and, you know, it's like, well, how early are we going to have our dinner together? Like, do you want to come over at 430? So, you know, and it just it becomes almost so rigid. Do you know what I mean? Or like, you know, by nine o'clock, I think they're experiencing it as if it's midnight or something. And so how do we hold these habits, but not become impossible for other people to live with us? Yeah, I know. And it's, oh, it's, it's tricky territory. Habit evolution. One of the things we start to realize, and and this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning with culture, is we start to realize that our habits are, they're truly not our own. Like if everyone you live with meditates, chances are you'll naturally pick up on the meditation vibe, Mm -hmm. like the actual, and you'll maybe even start to just pause more. And then eventually you might just find yourself sitting more and eventually you might find yourself having a meditation practice. And the, and the same thing's true with a, like a household that goes to bed early. They naturally raise children that go to bed early. Those children naturally don't develop sleep deprivation issues of children that live in a household that goes to bed late. And, and the, these were some of the first realizations I had as an Ayurvedic practitioner when working with uh, one family in particular where the mother had, uh, she had three different autoimmune diseases and her daughter at age 15 had been diagnosed with, uh, with her first autoimmune disease. And to, to work with, the, it was so fascinating because as I was working with the, the mother, and the, she was going to bed around anywhere between 11.30 p.m. and, and 1 a.m. And I was trying to simply edge back that bedtime, like back towards the realm. Again, the descending energy stops around 10 p.m. and an ascending energy comes up, which is called the second wind. Uh, sometimes people have that experience of where like you were tired and sleepy and then because you didn't go to bed and maybe you had a heavier dinner, all of a sudden you're, you're up like, and you're really up. And now it's, it's hard to actually go to bed and get a a really good night's sleep. So she was in that cycle of, of basically milking the second wind, which means that she's depleting tomorrow's energy tank, tomorrow's fuel tank. She's tapping into that today. And whenever we're doing that continually, we're going to have an immune system breakdown. It just, it, you know, it's like you're in debt and basically the, the hitmen come. So just getting her to edge it back. What was so fascinating is as she was edging her bedtime back, this took years. I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like it was fast or overnight with many of my, my clients now it's much faster, but then it wasn't, uh, her daughter also as a side effect over years started to go to bed early and when we start to get that, like, okay, we're in a bigger pattern, 
what we're all doing will have an effect on what I'm doing. And how do I want to live? Like, what do I want my bedtime to be like? So if we then couple that with, it's what we do most of the time, not all the time, that really matters. We find that that added gain, say, uh, say, you know, 60 to 80% of the time, you're eating an earlier or later dinner. You're going to bed before 10 and you're waking up hydrating and eliminating. And you've got that pattern down. That's enough. That's enough momentum that you'll start to feel better. And you'll, when you don't do it, you'll simply the next day just notice like, ah, not as good a day. So there'll be a momentum towards slowly getting healthier without making it anyone else's issue or anyone else's problem. Okay, we're going to circle back around to the poop conversation for a moment. So I'm going to wake up and I'm going to hydrate. How much water do I need to drink in the morning to have this fabulous, complete elimination? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, right? It's like the magic formula. Uh, It depends. It really depends. It depends on your level of of hydration. So if the day before you'd had a, a very hydrating diet, actually someone someone called on a course body type course call the other day said she's pregnant and she's Vata and she tends towards constipation. So she has a lighter constitution that tends towards constipation and often uh, body types in pregnancy will become more constipated. Certain body types will. And she was having that issue. And, and all I had her do is have a, just a simply a more hydrating diet, you know, to have more soup based, uh, more liquid based one pot meal based foods. And she found that like, that was enough. Like that was enough to actually help her eliminate without having to drink like, you know, excessive amount of of water. I find for me personally, if I'm a little bit behind on cellular hydration, my cells are simply less hydrated, which means that I'll have less flow and elimination requires downward flow. Then I might have to have up to a quart of water in the morning. And it's in Ayurveda, they say hot water or, or tea water hot, where your body is actually not needing to warm it up, uh, but it's it's coming in even warmer than our 98.5 degrees. And that's going to increase the, it's it's just like a weight. It's just a downward weight on, um, on basically our fecal matter. Okay. Before this conversation's over, we are going to let our listeners know about all 10 of these Ayurvedic <laughs> habits. But I'm interjecting as we go what I think some of the everyday objections might be. And mm. whenever I mention Ayurveda to anybody, people have a couple of objections, but one I want to air out now, which is, come on, really we're importing this system from India to our time and our place are these really the wisest people we should be listening to? Mm. I'm curious yeah. what your response is to that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, lo- I love that response because in a way it's, it's opening us up to what is human truth. And what thread does Ayurveda have in this web of, of human truth that we've gathered over, over time? And to me, when we look at any of the indigenous traditions, any of the folk medicine traditions around the world and over different millennia, uh, we find the same truth. To me, at least I see a lot more similarities and I see differences when it comes to habits that work. So this habit of of going to bed before, you know, basically 
before it's like the middle of the night <laughs> where mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to bed now in the middle of the night. A lot of children are going to bed after it's been dark for a few hours. Yeah, like that that habit arose because we didn't have electricity. The like humans ate in the middle of the in the middle of the day. We ate during daylight hours because we didn't have, you know, we didn't have electricity. And humans, it's interesting, primates like to see their food. Like you know, have you ever had a candlelit dinner that like just did not have enough candlelight? And, yeah. And it's not as fun. Like there's some part of it that's just simply not as delectable or enjoyable or sensual because we couldn't see. So humans like to see their food. So if we're eating at a time when historically our bodies wouldn't be able to see. So if we're eating too late at night, if we're going to bed too late, what soon happens is the next day it's hard to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what's from India or what's from your, you know, for me, my grandmother from France or my other grandmother from Poland or my grandfather from, like, it doesn't matter where, if we just see like, wow, as humans, as primates, there's a rhythm. Now, the beauty of Ayurveda and yoga to me, and the, I think my fascination with it, my lifelong fascination, or not lifelong, I, it started more or less when I was a, a young adult, was that this culture was, I would say, obsessed. Uh, and I, I don't use that word too lightly. But th- to me, this culture was obsessed with enlightenment. Like, who are we? And what can we be? And what is this technology of consciousness? And so in Sanskrit, we have so many, we have so many words for consciousness. We have so many different words for mind. We have different levels of thought that are very clearly delineated and differentiated. And so this culture, which, I mean, it's not, and it's not the only culture that did, but it's a culture that's been having this conversation for millennia. And this culture more or less found that to tap into our subtle anatomy, to tap into our potentiality, certain habits help. And to not do those habits doesn't help to the point of it actually gets in the way of making certain more subtle, more connected, more enlightened, more fantastic experiences impossible. Mm-hmm. And that's to me where it gets fascinating, right? So it's like, yeah, don't, don't worry about the cultural stuff. Like you don't have to put turmeric on all your food, uh, although it'll help inflammation, right? But like, you don't have to do that thing. Like you don't have to put a dot on your forehead or wear a sari. It's, it's so much more of what is the part that's enticing of how you want to design your tomorrows. What was happening in your life, Kate, when you were introduced to yoga and Ayurveda and fell in love with those sister disciplines? Yeah, I was leaving the world of international environmental politics and policy. I had been on that path since age about 16. Uh, and, And I'm a pretty hardcore seeker. I'm a pretty hardcore person in, in general. And so I was, I was very involved as an activist. I was a, uh, going into policy work. I was at the time leaving Washington, D.C., where I'd been involved in, in policy work. And before D.C., I was in China, uh, really looking at international environmental issues from a global standpoint and what China had to do with everything. And I, I came to a point of and it wasn't a new, it wasn't a new concept, but it was just a point of where I realized that on the policy side, we were trying to affect human behavior. And it might not for me be the right access point. If I could just go from 
more of a place of how do we actually shift human consciousness, that that would affect human behavior. And then we wouldn't need the policies so much. So again, this is like, you know, young adult, big picture thinking. And I then went into, and I actually had a background in, uh, in Chinese, a little bit in language, and then a lot more in policy and economics, bit in Taoism. And I had to make this fundamental shift as a, as a young adult of like, okay, I've got, I've got much more a foot in, in China than I do in India in, in Chinese thought and um, Chinese medicine and Taoism, the whole kit and caboodle of it. Then I do it all in, in yoga and Sanskrit and India. But what I kept coming to in my research of what to study next and how to really get into this human, how do we change human behavior from the most conscious standpoint? I fell in love with Ayurveda because it was so the people's medicine. And that's a phrase I'm borrowing from Melanie Sachs, who's um, written a number of books on Ayurveda and self-care. And this idea of the people's medicine, of the, this is an accessible grounded in the five elements, very easy to understand, very easy to get a hit of and, and be able to say like, oh, okay, yeah, this, this really makes sense. It's just a little bit to me more easy and accessible than Chinese medicine and Taoism. And that was more or less my choice. And then I went, <laughs> I went straight in without looking back. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I can't believe I'm going to ask one more question about, you guessed it, P-O-O-P. But it does <laughs> sound like this is a big problem uh, for many, many people. It's not actually a big problem for me, which is the point I'm about to debate. But I do know it's a big problem for many people, which is a sign of our lack of body thriving. But what's wrong with waking up and having a beautiful cup of coffee instead of a quart of hot water? <laughs> uh, well... It's, What's the problem? It's interesting. Well, I know. I mean, it's interesting. It's what there's the the body's water, right? It's mostly made out of water. It's the if you if you take the however many pounds you weigh, like the majority that is water. And if you simply start the day with water, you're you're starting with a friendly action towards your body. Like your body's not going to need to to filter if it's good pure water. It's not going to need to filter anything out. It's simply receiving. So we're starting in a day that in a way that helps our body thrive in that just from this, from the get go, I'm befriending my body. I'm not asking my body to do something for my mind or for my emotional body. Mm -hmm. And it's a good point. Yeah. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Yeah. So just a sense of like, what can I just, can I just do myself a little bit of a favor, start off on the right foot uh, for some people just starting with a few deep breaths, starting with a sip or two of water and just building again, a micro habit that's a great way to go. And then eventually what starts to happen is you start to crave what's good for you. If, if, as long as you, you know, build up slowly, one small step at a time, soon your body will be like, actually, I need another cup to go poop. And you'll start to know your body better. So for, for some of us uh, who are really dehydrated, we might actually start to notice like, wow, I'm eating a lot of salty, dry, crunchy foods. And no wonder I'm having trouble pooping because the food that's going in my mouth needs more water than the you know, then to, to basically become a poop that comes out of my body. So again, we start to just tap into, oh, right, caffeine is dehydrating. If we ended the night before with alcohol, alcohol is also dehydrating, meaning it's actually pulling a lot of fluids from your bodies and it's affecting your, um, it's, 
it's affecting the balance of the minerals in your body. Your calcium, your magnesium has to rebalance after caffeine or alcohol. So I'm not saying like never drink coffee, but just like, hey, get that. You can you can start with a friendly gesture. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, very powerful. And your comment about not looking to ourselves that our body's going to support this mental activity. You know, you drink coffee and you're all, you know, activated, ready to hit the work day. But that's a, a different mindset. Well, and so many people are trying to meditate, right? I mean, and I know you've talked to eons about this and, and the, you know, the, the, it's interesting. Some of the studies that have been done around meditation and caffeine basically show that it's much better to not have caffeine, especially if you're trying to, if you're, if you're trying to access the energy of the absolute or just the, the presence, the backdrop, the ground of being, whatever you want to call it, the divine, that just start with water and then just sit for a moment. It's a, it's a, it's the path. Like that's the way there's good science that shows that like that's, it's more accessible than having caffeine and then sitting. So there's a lot, I think just different ways to get into how do I, how do I want to live this day? Do I want to be hydrated? What are some of the advantages of being very deeply hydrated? Well, one of them, one of the ways you know you're hydrated is that you have good elimination in the morning. Other things that we see all the time now is just people's uh, headaches Right, just simply having headaches, having dry skin, having dry mouth. Like there's, there's so many things that are tapped into subtle levels of dehydration. Insomnia is connected to dehydration. So again, if we're not that hydrated, it's just an easy win. Hydrate, then have, then have some caffeine. But you might notice after the caffeine, like, oh wow, I need to, like, I need, to, <laughs> I need a little bit more water. Hi, friends. My name is Jono Fisher. I'm the Executive Director of the Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is a new non-profit organization dedicated to bringing the benefits of transformational education to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. Some students from Southwest Uganda recently wrote to us and said, In spite of war and violence, Sounds True's materials are helping us really change. We can laugh more. We believe in life again. We can love again. And we are even beginning to allow forgiveness and compassion to enter our consciousness. If you'd like to learn more about how the Sounds True Foundation is helping change lives or to become a supporter, please visit soundstruefoundation.org. Okay, now we're going to move relatively quickly over the fourth and fifth habit because I want to get to the sixth. So the fourth one you write about in Body Thrive is bestir the breath body, and you address the importance of exercise. And in number five, fuel yourself with a plant-based diet. And I think people have heard a lot about that recently. But then we get to number six, self-massage your body. I don't think most people think of like a basic health habit is self-massage. So talk to me about self-massage. Self-massage and everyone listening, you can just 
do it while we're talking about it. And this might look weird if you're in a room with other people, so you can do it subtly. But just start to massage your leg. And just notice how you can receive a lot of information. It's interesting. You're noticing, a, to some degree, like, what's the ratio between muscle and fat? And this quick check-in of that, you're getting your hands as connected to your skin or connected to your clothes, you know, to your skin through your clothing, to your muscle tissue, to your fat tissue, you're starting to create more of a, a matter over mind experience. And most of us are living from a mind over matter. If there's one question that holistic practitioners are asked the most is, is what should I eat? Mm-hmm. And this question of what should I eat is like, well, you intuitively really should know what to eat. Right. Your body should be just saying like, hey, that avocado looks really good today or oh, that pomegranate is super shiny. Right. There's a there's a level of natural intelligence that we all have. But because we've been programmed in school into a mind over matter and being told what to think about food, being told what to think about calories, being told what to think about uh, the you know, should we be on keto? Should we be raw? Should we be vegan? Should we? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Right. There's there's so much mind or what the, in yoga or Ayurveda, we would say that the, the mind, the monomaya kosha, the mind layer is overdeveloped and the energy layer, the prana layer, the pranamaya kosha is underdeveloped and the physical body, the anamaya kosha is also underdeveloped. So these, the mind over matter has very real consequences on not just our quote unquote health from a absence of disease perspective, but on our level of thrive, of just what it feels like to to thrive. So if we can move deeper into our bodies, and part of that is just simply with our hands, just, just touching our bodies is insanely therapeutic. We start to reorganize ourselves. We start to actually be able to sculpt and shape our bodies. I'll give an example to yesterday. I was, I spent some time in, in Mexico each year and I was at the beach yesterday with my daughter and her friends and they were playing and I was sitting right where the, the water hits the sand and I was in the sand and I've been, I've been editing my next book uh, and I've been doing just a lot of work lately, Uh, a lot of computer work, just very mm, full (laughs) my life. And I was noticing that sense. And I think everyone can relate of when you've just been working a little too hard and you're feeling a accumulation of, of mental work. And I wanted to release that accumulation. I didn't want that to build up because if it were to continue to build up through the day, I'd have trouble sleeping. I wouldn't rest as deeply. Today wouldn't have been as good a day. So I sat on the beach and there's sand on the beach. So I'm taking the sand and I'm just massaging the sand into my skin as I'm sitting in a yoga pose called Dandasana. It's the sitting pose where your legs are straight and your torso straight up. All right. So legs are straight out. You're like a big L. So I'm sitting there in a big L and I'm massaging my legs with my hands in the sand. And I start to notice I can exhale more deeply. Exhaling more deeply is one of the most basic signs that energy is starting to go down. It's going from the head down towards the root chakra or down towards the pelvis. And as I'm exhaling, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling matter. I'm feeling that the matter is starting to be just as present as the mind. And actually, the mind is starting to let go. The stress, the work, the buildup of all that mental energy is starting 
to release. And as I'm doing this, I'm just noticing like I could just feel I'm going to sleep so great tonight. And so many people have sleep issues. So many people can't sleep through the night. And if you just think of like, oh, wow, what if I were just to do a one minute foot massage before I go to bed? Might I sleep 10% better from doing a one minute foot massage before bed? And that's really where it begins is we just start to get, again, more matter uh, in balance with mind. Any tips on how to give yourself a good self-massage? Yeah, I mean, it's really don't overthink it. Um, there's a lot from, I, I feel like I'm like the most, uh, I'm like the Ayurvedic hack in a lot of ways. And the reason is because I feel like sometimes traditions make things too hard. And so this whole idea of like using oil, which is the traditional way to do self-massage, like for many of us, it's just too hard to like have oil and then have oily towels and whatnot. So simply just starting with your hands on your body. So when you're changing from your, uh, or there's a lot of different ways to do it. At the end of the day, if you don't shower at the end of the day, if you just simply take off one set of clothes and put on your pajamas, take a moment and just simply rub your hands all over your body. Don't overthink it. Let your hands start just touch your skin and just start to notice what you notice. Start to notice the parts of your body where your your body's saying like more, yes, please, there, now. And and then do that. And honestly, start set your timer for one minute, maybe two at the most, just to develop a very tiny habit that you can do that's doable, that starts to get you into the rhythm of, oh, wow, my hands can heal. My hands can heal me. And when we ha- start to have that relationship with our hands, we start to empower the intelligence that's intrinsic between our hands and the rest of our body. We start to wake up this natural intelligence. You'll start to know what to do next. Uh, you'll also be a lot more receptive to other tips of like, oh, you could use oil later in the game or, oh, you could learn a little bit about the different ways to direct energy or the different pressure points or marmo points, as they're called in Sanskrit. And, and you could become more sophisticated, but it all just starts with pass your hands over your body. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking about these 10 habits that help our bodies thrive, they are simple. They are intuitive. They are natural. And what I'm reflecting on is, well, why don't we do them? And it seems that there's a value system that many of us have bought into, some type of value system of, you know, I need to work at night or I have to be more productive or I don't have time, two minutes, to give myself a massage, something like that. What do you think about it in terms of like switching our value system from the cultural norm to what these habits actually illustrate, embody. Yeah. Well, I mean, the question that comes to me, and, and it's true, like there's actually one of the um, spectrums of human development is based on what we value, uh, that it's, it's very measurable, that as we enter different levels of, of consciousness development, as we enter different levels of consciousness that are, that the, there's different value differentials on that. And so, yeah, culture, we've already described how like culture often doesn't have our values but it affects our actions. It affects our habits. So I just want to ask everybody who's, who's partaking in this conversation right now, like what, what do you value? What kind of relationship do you want with your body? How do you want to age? Like, what do you want your body to feel like in a year, in a decade, in, in two decades? 
One of the things that I hear so much from people who, who start adopting these habits even later in life, even in their 60s, 70s, 80s, is they start to feel better. They start to feel better immediately. And they start to feel exponentially better as these habits start to become automated or automatic or happen without making a choice consciously to do it because they're simply in sync. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the aging point because I do think that people can get away, if, if you will, with not, you know, having some of these habits be the way they live their life when you're in your 20s and 30s, maybe even 40s. But, you know, it catches up to you. It's one of the points you make about habits. I think it's a really important one. Yeah. And but I also want to I also want to point out that uh, it's catching up with us culturally. Like There's a lot of there's a lot of sick kids out there. And there's a lot of kids that are not getting the kind of sleep that they need. There's you know, increase in medication of juveniles uh, every year. And so if we, if we look at this, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure who's getting away with anything anymore, mm-hmm. uh, more and more. And it's, it's scary, right? Like we're more apt as a culture to put a child on a medication than we are to help that child be rested and hydrated. Yeah. You're making a really important point. Okay, now I want to keep going because I want to make sure that we talk about the ninth and tenth habit that you write about in Body Thrive. The seventh, we're going to just breeze over here, which is the value of sitting in silence. We've touched on that briefly. Number eight, you talk about heating healthier eating guidelines, and I'll let people buy Body Thrive and read what all of those healthier eating guidelines are. But then number nine, I thought was really intriguing and something I hadn't really thought of the way you described it. You call the chapter Come to Your Senses, and it's about actually caring for our sense organs. So talk some about that. Yeah, I will. And and so we can do it in real time too, just wherever you are listening, just to look, look out, if there's a window, look out the window. Uh, if, if you're looking at a screen, look away from the screen for a moment. And if there's like a plant in the room, all the better. But if not, just let your gaze fall and let your eyes start to soften and recede away from the surface. So they'll move more towards the center of your skull, away from the outside and more towards the inside. I was trained in Iyengar yoga. That was the first yoga tradition I was trained in. And one of the key instructions in Iyengar yoga was to relax to relax the eyeballs back into the sockets. And I mean, it took me a couple of years to figure out what the heck, how to do that uh, while, you know, standing and twisting on one leg. But it, it brings up a, a core point in Ayurveda and yogic philosophy, which is that the way we experience reality is t- utterly tied up in our senses. So if our senses are overused or misused or abused, it will affect our consciousness. It will affect what we think about. It will also affect our cellular uh, body experience. And so in yoga and Ayurveda, the traditions themselves put a lot of emphasis on attuning the senses and attuning the senses over the stages of life in the different phases of, of aging. What happens is as we become aware of like, even just in this moment as everyone's uh, allowing their eyes to relax a little more, you might just simply notice if you've been straining your eyes or if you've been straining any of your senses. We often wake up too to 
that some senses are maybe overused and some senses are, are underused. A lot of people now aren't cooking anymore. We're not, we're not preparing our own foods. We're often eating prepared foods or, or we're eating out. And in the process of cooking, there's a lot of smells and it's a way that we actually historically self-medicate. And I mean that in the highest, Mm -hmm. best possible sense. Like we're able to simply adjust. Oh, I need a little bit more cinnamon today. And we might not be thinking again, it might not be matter um, undermined, might be mind over matter. We're not thinking like, oh, cinnamon's going to increase my circulation and improve my blood flow or experience, you know, better uh, warmth in my body as, as it is as a heating herb. We might just simply be, I need more cinnamon. Like that cinnamon smells good. Ooh, where's the cardamom? And I might put a sprinkle of that in, but I'm designing the digestibility of the food, but I'm also waking up my, my sense of smell and smell is connected to earth element. Each of the five senses is connected to one of the, the five elements. So earth element is, is grounding. It's relaxing. There's a sense of aliveness and earthiness and okayness that all is wrapped up in, in that earth element sense of smell. So again, if we're not, if we're not cooking, if we're not using our sense of smell the way it's been used historically by our body to self-regulate, to self-medicate, there's just going to be a little bit less delight in our life. And soon we might find ourselves like internet shopping or trying to find, you know, trying to find delight in other ways that aren't really as, as simple and easy and, and as deeply fulfilling. So the sense organ self-care is all in there to help, again, remind people that your senses are how you experience the world. And one of the causes in disease in Ayurveda is this misuse, overuse, abuse of the senses. And just to wake people up to, wow, this is, there's a lot of easy wins in there. And wow, I can really design a much more sensual experience for myself. And when I do, I wake up to new levels of, of delight. I love it. Beautiful. Okay. Your 10th habit in Body Thrive is something that I never really thought of as a habit in the same way that the other nine feel to me like habits. This one, I was like, huh, live in ease. How do you make living in ease a habit? Yeah. I, you know, and I just want to say, Tammy, it eluded me too. <laughs> the first, uh, actually, the the Body Thrive Habits, I hadn't even written the book when I was teaching the yoga health coaches around the world how to teach these habits in their communities. And I at first taught it with nine habits and useful living wasn't, it wasn't in there. And what happened was over the course, that, and that was in the beta program, and, and over the course of the year, I started to have this sense that we were missing something that it was it was too hard we were approaching it too much like a Mm -hmm. to-do list and in yoga this would come from dualistic thinking that that part of yoga philosophy part of all of the just human developmental evolutional philosophies that they go through a phase of conformist where you have these to-do lists but there was something that was so far beyond that and and important to recognize as something we have a choice about. To me, a habit is something that we can control. It's a choice point. And so today, we have more and more people identifying as having a stressful life and having increased levels of stress. We have the same, same stats with, with kids or with the next generation, that stress is a real thing. So the opposite of stress is ease. 
in the yogic tradition, they say that, you know, ease is, ease is our, is our birthright. Ease is part of being. When we meditate, we feel ease. The backdrop of every moment is ease. It's not stress. It's okay. It's all right. There's room. There's space. There's deep time. And if we can remember that, if we can live from that, in, in yoga, another teaching many people may be familiar with who've studied yoga or any wisdom tradition deeply is the, the back body of, or the universal, that there's, there's a space of interconnectivity that's behind every moment. And if we're aware of that, if we're in that, then whatever's presenting in the front body, whatever's in front of us, whatever's more in our individual experience, we have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. We're coming from a different angle to it. And so we can be in stress, but if we're actually orienting from ease, we're much more able to handle the stress that's arising. Can you describe, Kate, how you connect with your back body, what you do to do that? Yeah, I'd love to. And, And actually, we already did a little bit when we relaxed our eyes. That was a movement from the individual, the front body, into the universal or the back body. And so we can do that same, that same little micro experiment together just by simply leaning back. So if you're sitting or lying down, just allow your awareness to move more into the backside. It's also connected to the exhale. So simply allowing the exhale to be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more spacious. For many of us, just simply having having a moment, just taking a moment and leaning back and feeling, even imagining if it's not accessible as a feeling, but imagining that you're supported, that that your life is supported by the life force itself, the force that created you, that you're supported from the backside. And some teachers uh, described it as like a pillow that's behind you, that's always supporting you. And if you simply just allow it to take on some of the burden, to simply receive you, that that can help you relax a little and feel more of that ease. That's always, it's always there. It's just a question of receiving it. Is there something that really just kind of is the thing that trips your switches and puts you into a stress mode? And do you have a go-to move for returning to living in ease that you use when that happens? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it's like my, I'm, in, I'm in Mexico and trying to run a company and do a podcast. It's, I'm like connected to the internet. And so in my internet, doesn't work and today I had like a double my double backup system failed (laughs) so I was driving around in the car to be able to connect and have this conversation with you Tammy who I've like you're my hero you're my heroine you've been my uh, role model line for over 20 years this conversation is really really important to me and I couldn't get internet so yeah right like we all get now, often technology things are the things that can trip a lot of people up, I found. But yeah, anyway, that's one. It bothers yeah. me. Or like if my car doesn't work or something, I'm like, ah, suddenly. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the, the deep 
deep time, deep space perspective, because I can also assume, and for many of us, we, and we've just done a few practices that get us more matter over mind, but we can actually even use the mind and just get the mind to tap into a much bigger reality than the little issue in front of us. And so I did this today when I realized that the co-work space where we have fiber that it was not going to work as I immediately backed myself up into, in the history of the cosmos, <laughs> right? Like how, like, yeah, this conversation, I really liked this conversation to have it. Like in the history of the cosmos, this doesn't matter. And, and just in that, all of a sudden my brain gets more oxygen and I'm able to problem solve. And so we were able to have the conversation and relatively on time. And so that just simply just doing that, like, wow, in the history of the cosmos, right? Or just asking yourself to feel into how old our planet is, how old our solar system, our Milky Way, our galaxy, our galaxy among galaxies. And what happens is right there is you're, you're now going from time right into space. And you can start to feel the enormousness of it all and the smallness of, of yourself. And all of a sudden, there's just actually a little bit more space. There's a little more room to breathe. And with a little more room to breathe, there's a little more oxygen. Everything's going to function a little bit better. There's a sense that you can exhale. There's enough room in the universe to breathe. And now you can kind of go about problem solving in just a, a more functional way. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you have this 10th habit of living with ease because sometimes I notice when people have, you know, there's so many checklists and there's so much to do. And I think, yeah, all these things would be good for me, but I'm so like over checklisted. Do you know what I mean? Like I already have so much going on. Now I've got all these things I need to do for my health. There's not enough time in the day. But yeah. when you just put the pillow behind me, and say, you know, you can lean back and live in ease. I noticed this tremendous sense of relaxation and happiness. Yeah, and you, what I like to tell, what I like to tell the people as they're learning Body Thrive is you can fall back into these habits. Like these habits are you. They're not separate from your, your biological and psychological history as a homo sapien. So what happens when you shift your perspective to like, I need to effort to this and, and you actually reposition to, I could actually relax into the natural flow. Like my body naturally gets tired at night. My body naturally craves water. My body naturally desires to move. There's such interesting studies. And I know we, we uh, kind of blipped over a bit on the breath body practices, but the part of moving frequently is it's really there's some such fascinating studies from uh, around sedentary disease right now that shows that like if you're sitting more than four hours consecutively like your, your chance of, uh, of of chronic disease skyrockets it doesn't like gently increase it skyrockets and so just getting that like you're naturally you're naturally able to fall into it's a gravitational like release into rhythm. Now, the last point, Kate, that I really want you to talk about is this idea that as our body thrives more and more, we have the opportunity to discover what the yogis call the bliss body. 
I'd like to know from your own experience what the bliss body is like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm laughing because this morning when I sat to to meditate, I I I had a brief internal conversation before the practice about like what what I was what I was going to do and. In non non yogic traditions, the whole bliss body can actually trip up can trip up practices that are a little bit more serious because it's so delightful. So being has the word is ananda. The word bliss is ananda is ananda, and and beingness has a sheath around it of what is called a, a kosha, a sheath, and it's like a a knife has a sheath. And so the in the yogic philosophy, the sheath that's closest to to beingness. Or to, if we were to get distilled into what we absolutely are without question, it's that beingness. And so the next sheath around that which is unnameable that we are is, is Ananda, is, is this bliss, is this undulating, scintillating feeling of, it's, to me it's like this, it's this yumminess, it's the interconnectivity and then beyond that is intuition, beyond that's the mind, beyond that's the pranic body or energy body, and beyond that's the physical body. So there are these outward moving sheaths or encapsulating circles or a knife with five different um, pieces of leather around it. And so that one that's closest to the knife is is this bliss. And in easeful living, it's a reminder too, uh, as a habit, it's a reminder, especially to those of us who are on the on, on a path of awakening to seed our awareness in, in this field of, of support, of, of being relaxed and of tapping into this pulsation. And the way to feel the pulsation is just the, obviously like the most simple inhale and exhale. And so if everyone listening can relax into the rhythm of your breath and just notice if it feels good, if it just simply feels good to on a cellular level to inhale and notice how your body expands. And as you exhale again, without effort, without mind, just noticing how you contract for anyone who's spent time around babies. You notice how there's just a, a relaxation of the baby with their whole body is actually in sync with the breath. Their whole body naturally expands and, and naturally contracts. Whereas if someone has uh, deep-seated anxiety, often the breath is is really limited into the upper lobes of the lungs, and the, the whole body's rigid. Uh, the whole rest of the body's rigid, and there's just this like little teeny tiny pulsation happening in the lobes of the lungs, upper lobes of the lungs. And so it's just that you know, for shifting from anxiety, if anyone listening and you have, you're just noticing like, oh, I am a little bit contracted or anxious or not easeful. To allow yourself to, and you might need to do this lying down to just, and you might need to do it lying down on your belly because that is the most supported position for the nervous system is to just simply tune your awareness to, does it, does it feel good to just inhale, expand, exhale, contract. And on a, on a, what the yogis would call a gross level, like that's kind of where it all begins. And then there's increasing levels of of subtlety there's increasing uh if you will they're like planes uh of of access to even greater experiences of subtle body awareness it seems like it's very healing 
to spend time breathing in the bliss body. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, to me, when we talk about the people's medicine and the power of of Ayurveda, and those who don't know Ayurveda, it means the science of life. So there's nothing to me actually intrinsically Indian about it or culturally Indian about it, which might sound totally sacrilegious, especially if you're Indian. <laughs> but to me, it's just like this tapping into human consciousness and planetary awareness. And so these 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 parts and parcels of our consciousness that we we all have, we all, and in any culture, in any time, there's there's a sense of like, ah, take a deep breath, like just take a step back, take a deep breath, broaden your perspective. From that place, approach the present moment. Like it's it's everywhere, and it is so healing, especially if we need healing, if we've been out of sync, or if we've been a trauma, or out of rhythm for a long time. And like I've pointed out a number of times in this show, like many people are born, babies are born into an Akrama family, into an out of rhythm microcosm, microculture of a family. So the, the deep seatedness of anxiety, of just not feeling supported by the life force might take quite a bit of time to unwind. And simply knowing that you have, you have the power to lie down on your stomach, and self-soothe, self-soothe by simply feeling the breath, and that that's where it can all really begin. Now, Kate, here at the end, you talk about, in the book Body Thrive, how important it is for people to know their why, why they're doing this, why they're making these habit changes. And you say, when you're clear on your why, it's like you have a rocket in your pocket. And (laughs) to end, what's your why for being this yoga healer at large in the world, doing the work that you do. What's the why underneath it for you? Because you certainly have a rocket in your pocket. <laughs> uh, gosh, I have my dad's old habit of laughing at my own jokes. Um, I, Like I said, in, in that shift from international environmental politics and policy, I was really, from, a, from my teen years, quite aware of the dire straits of, of humans and our planet, the sacred ecosystem, the sacred planet that we, that we share. And my whole perspective is all it, it has been since becoming more conscious as a teen, uh, to every day now, if I, I feel like I'm very much here to spread personal and planetary thrive. Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing so through, uh, my global organization of yoga health coaches who are sharing these habits in their communities, both locally and, and online. Uh, my sense is that there's just so many easy wins for people with Ayurveda. The, like every, I just want everyone to recognize everything we've talked about is free. Everything, everything we've mentioned in the show is free. You don't have to buy anything right? to simply have access into your own personal healing system. And when you heal the more whole, the more thriving, the more resilient you are, the smarter choices you make, the more connected you become to your community and to your ecosystem. And the more ecosystems are connected, the more communities are connected, the healthier our whole global community becomes and our planet becomes as we learn how to, to take better care. And that's really what gets me out of bed. I've been talking to Kate Stillman. You can check out her work at yogahealer.com. And with Sounds True, she's published an incredibly useful new book. It's called Body Thrive. Uplevel your body and your life 
with 10 Habits from Ayurveda and Yoga. And Kate, I've never talked about poop so much in public. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. At Sounds True, we are dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely accessible. The new Sounds True Foundation exists to remove financial barriers and make sure that people in communities of need have access to transformational tools and teachings. You can find out more at SoundsTrueFoundation.org. I also want to invite you to our first in-person Sounds True gathering, which is a fundraiser for the new Sounds True Foundation. Join us and connect with some of your favorite Sounds True authors in the beautiful redwood forests outside of Santa Cruz. It's a three-day experience filled with learning, inspiration, nature, and connection. It's all happening September 26th through the 29th, 2019. To learn more or reserve a ticket, just visit soundstruefoundation.org forward slash event. Again, that's soundstruefoundation.org forward slash event. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to being with you next time. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 